0: Welcome to Destination CMO, a podcast about growth, business, and the power of marketing with your host, Vincent Phamvan, a three-time chief marketing officer, member of the Forbes Communication Council, and a 40 Under 40 award recipient. On this show, we invite our guests to share the most important stories happening today in business and tech, told through the lens of a senior marketing leader. If you enjoy this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I'm so excited today to introduce our guest, who is Mike Vulcan. He's an entrepreneur, an army veteran, a speaker, author of six different books, one of them even a bestseller. And as a serial entrepreneur, he has built and sold six of his own companies. As a consultant, he is one of the top rated freelancers on Upwork today, has consulted with more than 400 different companies, as a fractional CMO and entrepreneur coach, Welcome, Mike, and thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks. Great intro. You summed up my whole life in about 20 seconds.
1: (laughs) Really great prep work and always a sign of a good guest on a podcast. You know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is you went through kind of a little bit more of like the traditional marketing career that you and I both did. You know, we grew up and we worked full time for different companies as both of us have kind of strayed off that path. But tell me about what led to that for you.
2: Yeah, probably just like most people, I just realized that I didn't like the culture of being in an office, so to speak, all the politics that go around it, you know, dressing up and fighting traffic every day. So at some point in my life, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to work for myself. But I do think that that corporate structure gave me a lot of the skills and to know what I like and I don't like about corporate life and to allow me to transition to being an entrepreneur and a freelancer.
1: And some of the trends that we've seen in the gig economy or what is like traditionally referred to as the gig economy, most people think of like the Uber driver or the DoorDash delivery driver. Interesting things that when you dig into the data that you see is that there's this rise in 1099 employment in white collar jobs. So when you take a look at like professional roles, especially in accounting, especially in law you're seeing more and more roles move from in-house W2 to 1099 roles, when really all the headlines and the things that you read about in the news is more so that gig type work in an app. So for you, when you talk about freelancing, like how do you define that today?
2: Yeah, it's you got freelancer, you got consultant, you got contractor, you got the gig economy, there's so many like names, you know, from a definition standpoint, the gig economy is largely known as, like you said, the Uber driver, the DoorDash dash delivery guy, right? That's the people who can just get done with their 9 to 5 job and want to earn some extra money they jump in their car and they do something at their own time with the touch of a button on an app or whatever that's what the gig economy is being defined at even though that's not truly only what it is from my perspective you got contract work and that to me is defined as someone who is working for a company that could be full time but not necessarily and then you got freelancers and consultants who work part time or not they work on their own schedule and they're their own bosses right so a contractor may not necessarily be their own boss. They might just not be a W-2 employee. But from a freelancer consultant, you're literally running your own business. Now, what's the difference between a freelancer and a consultant? Usually, but not always, freelancers are per project and consultants are have an extended open contract with a company.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great definition, because when I think of marketing freelancer, I think this is probably common for what a lot of people think of is like they think of that social media manager or they think of that ghostwriter who's writing blogs and kind of the lesser known world is really the more the strategy work. And so especially in the type of economy that we're living in today, where a lot of economists have said that the US and the global economy will likely see a recession over the next 12 to 24 months, companies are really taking a look at what their permanent expenditures are. And so it might make sense for a company to even pay a little bit more today to gain some flexibility than to pay less and be locked in on an expense that they're investing in. And so this world of fractional CMO work was something that I had almost accidentally stumbled upon about five years ago. But tell me a little bit about kind of like how you've been exposed to that work. And how do you describe the work that you're doing today?
2: Yeah, you know, fractional CMO is a growing field. In fact, I subscribe to this newsletter called Trending Topics, and they always highlight the three most trending words on Google for the week. And this week, fractional CMO was the third most trending phrase. Are typing in, can you believe that? Yeah, so it just goes to show the rise in, in just fractional execs as a whole. Mm-hmm. Here, you have most of the companies that are driving this economy are small businesses, usually being defined as 10 million or under a year, right? Yep. And then they need this leadership that they can't afford. Fractional CMOs usually go for quarter million or more a year, sometimes 300,000 up.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: How can someone making a hundred thousand a year or even a million dollars a year afford? the the leadership that they need in in marketing, which drives sales, right? They can't. So you have these fractional CMOs, CEOs, CFOs, filling these leadership positions where you can hire them for five hours a week, 10 hours a week, whatever, and they can do certain tasks for you. And then you outsource the non-essential things. Like for me, my expertise is strategy and project management. So you're not going to want to pay me with my, Bill rate to go in there and build email campaigns or do SEO or anything like that. You can hire somebody a third of my bill rate to do that and keep the bills really low. And then I can, on my end, as a fractional CMO, can commit to other clients as well to fill my salary needs from my end. So it's a win-win from both parties. So,
1: Yeah, that absolutely is the spot that in my fractional CMO work as well that I've seen. So these are oftentimes either smaller companies or their small divisions within larger companies one of the myths out there is that the fractional CMO work is in the startup space or it's in the smaller business space it could also be a fortune 100 brand a fortune 500 company that you well and know and know of today but it might be a new venture for them and it might be this kind of startup that they're incubating inside their company or a new product line or something similar to that yeah. But the work is really the challenge that they're facing is talent is hard to find mm-hmm. with the amount of funding that they may or may not have can be tough to be able to hire the type of talent that they know that they need. Right. And So there's middle ground where you can get the advisory help, the strategy help to make sure that you're kind of your overarching strategy is the right strategy, but then still go use kind of more tactical executors. When it comes to exactly like what you're talking about, something like writing the first copy of that email campaign or working, you're not going to use this fractional CMO, they're not going to be your website developer, but they might manage the project with an external agency to get that website built. And this is kind of a different mindset that then a lot of folks think about in terms of how to get work done, especially if they've only worked in the in-house model with full-time employees in-house. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's a new way to do business and technology is allowing us like you couldn't have done this 30 years ago because there wasn't Zoom and virtual meetings and stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And another thing is fractional executives like fractional CMOs aren't cut from the same cloth. There are fractional CMOs that only do inbound marketing. There are ones that only work with B2B enterprise companies. There only Mm work with. there's some that only do B2C startups it allows you to find that very targeted skill set that you need. People hire me because I built and sold companies. I understand how to build value in companies. So when I build out my marketing campaign, it's how much value can we get? If you're looking to sell this company five years down the road, 10 years down the road, we want this to be a lasting value multiplier. So they'll hire me to build out campaigns that improve company value because they have an exit on their mind, but they wouldn't hire me to do even though I do have experience with this B2B enterprise sales, they might find somebody who has worked for a competitor or in their local market that knows that particular product super well. Going on a site like Upwork, you can find very specific people based on their profile and keywords that you're searching for. So that just didn't exist 30, 20, even to some extent, 10 years ago, and people are really embracing it. It's nice.
1: You and I went different paths in terms of how we do business development for our consultancies. You are one of the top rated freelancers on Upwork. I don't even have an Upwork profile as a provider. So I definitely want to dig into that. But. Before that, I think you nailed an exact point there, which is, you know, knowing what is the value that you deliver to a client or the brand or the company that you're going to join. You described that as exponential growth to be able to prepare for an exit, which is actually completely different than how I describe it for me, which, you know, for the audience here, this will, I think, give you a sense of kind of the different worlds that this could look like and kind of figuring out that what that is for you. For me, I describe my services as for a seed stage company that's raised somewhere between four and 10 million in their seed round. I'm going to help them achieve the growth that's necessary to land that Series A so that they can go hire their full-time marketing team. So Mm -hmm. a completely different outcome than what you're talking about, where it's a more eminent exit that you're preparing for and your proven track record of being able to build and sell six of those companies. For a lot of folks, this is an experience, if you're thinking like in your head right now, oh my gosh, I don't have this type of experience, how am I ever going to help somebody do that? More often than not, this is actually an experience that you might already have in your past corporate experience. So it's not necessarily an experience that you necessarily have to have as a consultant or as a freelancer. So let's talk about pros and cons of going onto a platform like Upwork. There's a, a lot of different marketplace platforms today, you made the decision to really do the hard work of building a profile, getting the social proof on the platform. Downsides of using the platforms is they all take some type of percentage cut, but you get exposure to potentially all of these clients. How did you think about that as you kind of took your approach to growing your base?
2: It was a decision for me to have to go on to Upwork. I knew that if I was going to do that, I was going to commit to it. I wasn't just going to be one of the 17 million plus people on that platform, right? And just blend in with the crowd. So I committed to it, and in the end, last year, what I did was I made a freelancer masterclass course for people, not to plug anything, but it's on Udemy. But what I determined was like there is an algorithm to Upwork on how people find you. I wanted to break that algorithm. I wanted not break it, but I wanted to crack the code on how to appear at the top of these searches for these companies that are searching for CMOS, for example. So I did so much testing. Like I didn't just put a profile up there and just see what came my way because I wanted to be able to. If I'm going to commit at this time and the 20% of my revenue that Upwork is going to take or 10%, depending on the contract size, I wanted to make sure that it was going to be worth it. So I was selected as their, I believe it was the marketer of the year or something for 2020. And I don't know how exactly to determine that. I just got a call one day out of the blue. They said, come on down at our headquarters in San Francisco. We'll pay you. We'll do some social media, whatever uh, posts. And I even just wrote a blog for them last week that they put on their homepage about cryptocurrencies and investing, how companies can invest in crypto. I know a lot of the people down at Upwork because that I've produced uh, such a great rating from clients that I've closed contract with. I can command a high price. And that combination allowed me to set myself apart from someone that has called themselves a CMO that might be charging $20 an hour or something. That So I've kind of risen above that. And I've gotten the attention of Upwork of being able to close projects have happy clients at five-star ratings at a very high hourly rate or project rate.
1: Yeah, that's a really great point. And so kind of myth busting number one, freelancing in the marketing space is not always that $20 an hour or that $50 an hour, you know, design or web development. And there is this yeah. kind of completely different world that you might not be aware of if you're a marketing director or VP of marketing inside of an organization today, or maybe you're a leader at mid-sized or large marketing agency, just as equally applied to you. One of the questions that I always hear from folks who are taking this first jump into consulting or freelancing is how do I price myself? You know, the traditional like salary negotiation with the benefits is something that's kind of really well known if you're a job seeker, but your first step into consulting, like that can actually be something that's pretty tough to figure out. So somebody think about that.
2: Myth number one on Upwork is it's not a race to the bottom. A lot of people say they don't join Upwork because they don't want to be blended in with Or compete with $20 an hour consultants. That's not true. I charge regularly over $300 an hour and my plate is full. So in terms of like how to price yourself out, would that be a good time to transition into this? Okay. So there's a lot of different ways you can approach this. If you are a corporate executive and thinking about going freelancing, like I did, call yourself a fractional CMO, work for several different companies at once. What you can do is say, is get all your assets in one column. So you need health insurance. You need to replace your salary and then some and you're not working as a freelancer to make more hours for yourself. There's that old saying, change your nine to five for a five to nine job. That's not necessarily why you want it. You're going to hate working for yourself if you do that. I have a very strict schedule. Usually I pick up my kid at preschool at three o'clock and I'm done for the day. So I don't work an eight hour day. And if I do, it's on my own time and my own hours. You know, I might sit down and do a couple hours at night of project managing my own work. But what I would do to price your own self out is like, okay, let's say you're making a year for the sake of round numbers. And you want to be able to make that and more working for yourself. So figure out what it's going to cost. There's 2,080 work hours in a year. So divide your salary by 2,080. That's how much you need to make per hour. Okay. But there's also fees on top of that. You need your own health insurance. Build that in, divide that into your hourly rate. And then you're also going to need to take, if you're going to go on platforms like Upwork or Fiverr or any of those other platforms, Factor in 20% for that, and then factor in your taxes. So as a very general rule of thumb, what you want to do is take your 2,080 hours, divide that by your salary, and add 40%. That should be the number that you should be no lower than your hourly rate for charging clients.
1: I love that advice in terms of like how to go through that math to be able to set that number, You know, the, for me, I went through like a similar journey as that we've talked a a bit about some of the downsides of using a platform in the cut, but you know, let's get into like the upside of this type of work and this type of life. I just learned you and I both have young toddlers at home. So same thing for me, I'm doing drop off in the morning, I'm doing pickup in the afternoon. And one of the things that when I started on this journey was I wanted Fridays as like a self-care day. And the beauty of being able to do this fractional CMO type of work is Friday morning is my deep flow work. Like I'm doing heads down. That's my most productive hours. There you go. Friday
2: mornings, Um, my, I do a walking meditation hike every Friday morning. So
1: yeah, that's that's exactly right. So I start out Fridays with yoga and then I'll grind through maybe two, three at the most hours of like deep focus work where I'm concentrated. I'm not distracted. I'm in a good like mental space. And then the rest of the day is me. And so whether that's I'm going to end up going for a walk, it's whether it's I'm going to meet up with somebody for lunch, whether it's that's where I'm just getting my errands done before the weekend. Like those are the types of lifestyle changes that you can make and it affords you. And then the other one, you add on kind of that percentage at the end of your number where you're adding on that buffer. I love taking the salary, the benefits, and if you don't know how much to factor in for benefits, one easy way to do that is just add about 35 to 40%, which is exactly about the percentage that you gave. And the only tweak to the calculation for me was like, my number was 35 hours a week. And so I took the number of weeks in a year, 52 weeks in a year, and I kind of built that into the lifestyle that I wanted to try to create. And then from there, you can figure out how many clients that you want to do, which industries and start tackling it from there. You and I have a little bit of a different strategy there. Typically all my fractional work, I'll only work with one or two clients at a time. I think you're in the range of like four to six clients at a time. So how do you think about that?
2: It's tough. I generally don't like to take on six clients as a CMO. But if I there's six different companies I really want to be a part of, I take it on. But I definitely don't bite off more than I can chew. Like I've had in the past project managers that have just helped me project manage my own life. Like sometimes mm-hmm. you need that. And if you build in your hourly rate, right, you can do that. And here's something else I didn't mention about your hourly rate. Once you become full, you raise your hourly rate. Like my base, I don't go below is $300 an hour. But if I'm full and I have, you know, a company that comes to me and says, Mike, we really need you for five hours a week. Then guess what my new hourly rate is? It's like 350 or 400. I I've even charged more than 600 an hour for some high level one-off consulting because If I'm going to take time away from my free time to talk and I'm totally full and I'm burned out, like there is a number that you'd be willing to take. And if clients are willing to pay for it, then by all means, it's not anything dirty or nasty. I mean, if it's a meeting of the mind, so it just depends on how light or full you are in work and you're going to have up months and you're going to have down months. And that's part of the fun and being scared of working for yourself and the nature of being your own boss.
1: Yeah. The being scared part is something that I can definitely relate to, especially when I'm only working with when I plan to only work with one or two clients at a time where it does take typically at least a few months to be able to go find, mutually vet, see if it's a good fit. And the type of work that I'm doing, typically these are essentially about 12 to 16 months worth of work, but like everything else in contractor life, nothing is guaranteed. When is that going to end?
2: It could end tomorrow. I mean, it's the nature of business. So you always have to have a good backlog I would recommend having something to where you're building up a a newsletter list or an email list so you can continually drip to people, Hey, I'm available, you know, this next week or this next month, or I have a major project coming off my plate. And you have a go-to list of a few hundred people that you can email.
1: Yeah. And I've been pleasantly surprised my clients, the engagements typically end when they're going through a fundraising round. Oftentimes, like if I want to join the company full-time, there's an opportunity for me to do that if I wanted to. And if I don't, then I'm hiring in the person who's going to replace me. Yeah. And I've been lucky. A lot of my clients have referred me to the next client that I actually end up starting an engagement with, or, you know, it's a, the investor from one company is doing an investment in another company and they're looking for a similar thing. And so what I love about this episode and kind of like this conversation with you is like, I'm hearing a completely different approach than mine, where it's really behind the scenes, it's emails, it's working personal relationships and even pre pandemic, it was like one of the first ones was like sitting across from somebody at lunch, just catching up. And it was somebody who was in my network for the past. And they said, Hey, my CMO about to leave, like I could use some help until we can hire a replacement. What's your rate? And at the time, like I wish if my math was fast enough to be able to come up with a number. But <laughs> yeah. I just threw a number out there. And he said, Yeah, that sounds good. We'll get in touch. We'll get that done next week. And then in my head, I was like, Oh, maybe that number wasn't high enough. But what I love about yeah. what you just said is, If you find yourself full from a time perspective, then it's a simple supply and demand. That means you need to increase what that rate is. And, you know, for me, I really value the ability to be able to get deeply integrated into companies. And these are kind of some of the decisions that you need to figure out in terms of like how you want to work with your client. But for me, I am inside their Slack. These are all technology startup companies. So they use Slack. And so I am in there, but that comes with limits. That means that I'm much more easily accessible than somebody else. But the opposite side of it is I have the full context of the business and it's a lot easier to be able to follow up with somebody versus having to send them an email if there's something that I need to be able to be successful. That only works for me with one or two companies. There's no way that I would ever be able to be in the Slack account for 10 different companies. So I think as people are listening to this episode, this is like some of the things to think about in terms of like how you wanna build out your personal business.
2: I know. That's probably the the bane of my existence is these companies. I sound like an old guy when I, you know, Slack, uh, productivity killer. Texting, I never give my phone number out to clients and tell them, well, they have my phone number, but not to text me. I say I don't text. I do the Pomodoro technique when I work, you know, so yeah. my phone is off. It's face down. So whenever it blinks and I got a new Slack message, like I have times when I look at that. And if you don't know what the Pomodoro technique is, I highly recommend you look into it. If you're a consultant, you need to be able to know about the Pomodoro technique or workflow or you're going to be procrastinating and making yourself available to do stuff that's not helping your business. So as a tip, there you go, focus time. That's a Pomodoro technique. As a tip, if you are going to get in with clients, tell them how you communicate. I have clients all the time say, can you join Slack? Yes, I can, but I'm not on demand for live chats. It's like I will check Slack twice a day, just like I check my email, but I am working. I work hourly, so I need to stay productive. And they understand that. When people text you or Slack you or message you on Trello, Asana, Monday, name your software program, they're expecting an immediate response. That's the reason why I say everything should go through email for me. It's easily searchable. I can check it on my own time and I can stay focused on my work.
1: Yeah, absolutely love. I mean, there are a lot of nuggets that I just heard in there. So kind of summarizing for everybody, Pomodoro technique I just put up on my screen. So I use a Chrome extension that's called Momentum. This is what momentum looks like right here. And you know, same thing as you, this is like the bread and butter. So if I hit this to-do on the bottom corner, there's my to-do list. I can easily take notes in here, but I can also switch over to this timer, type what I'm actually working on and just hit start, and then just put my entire laptop on disabled notifications. You and I have a different approach to Slack. You know, for me, I am in the company's Slack. There comes with limits to that compared to like being a full-time employee. For me, I do a lot of scheduling of messages in Slack. So you might send me a message at seven o'clock at night. I might, even if I do see it at seven o'clock, I might type the reply, but then schedule it to send out at 9 a.m. the next morning, just so that I'm not getting into a back and forth, 30 minute long conversation at night. And so these are kind of like the personal preferences that you got to think of. But Mike and I also run kind of different consultancies because I have one or two clients. I'm not in the slack for five plus clients, which 100% wouldn't be manageable. And there was something else that you said that I absolutely loved earlier too, which is kind of like rate by clients. For me, the less number of hours I'm working a month, the higher the rate ends up being because the context switching is a lot harder. It's a lot easier if I'm working on these long-term projects and I'm kind of deeply ingrained, but that's kind of the decision that I made that could be different than the decision that somebody listening to this right. could make. One of the things that I want to get into too, is that you hear a lot of freelancers or consultants saying, well, you know, the downside of consulting or freelancing is you have to, you're trading time for money. And in order to make money, you always have to put in time. And that." isn't necessarily the case in some of the things that you and I have both done. So let's talk a little bit about how consulting takes a lot of somebody's time, but what you can actually do to create passive revenue streams.
2: Yeah, there's lots of passive revenue streams. So, I mean, look, I wrote a book, the bestseller. The first one that I wrote is still giving me income. And that was back in early 2000s. Like, there, Books are a great source of passive income. You could do a software program. You could productize your service. You can outsource your work and just bring it up to your Expertise and deliver to the client. But there's nothing wrong with trading your time. Like, there's this mantra lately where to be a great entrepreneur, you need to be able to just have somebody else do all your work while you just collect the checks. It's mailbox money. Like, I don't agree with people who say that. Like, even if I'm quote unquote retired, there's no way I'm sitting around just golfing all day long. Like, I'm still going to be working. I have dreams someday of starting a foundation. That's what I would love to do, a charitable foundation. And make that my life. But I don't know what it is about this latest generation that feels like everything has to be passive and just money because it's going to come through you and give everybody else the work and you just collect the checks. Like, I don't agree with that at all. There's nothing wrong with putting in a hard day work and and learning some stuff. I can't tell you how confident I am. I mean, not to brag, like you could put me in a room with any marketer, put me in the room with head of a Silicon Valley marketing company or marketing lead. And I can go head to head with you on just about anything because I have experience with over 400 companies 36 industries, worked in 20 different countries. You can't compare that to somebody who's worked in one company for like 20 years and had very siloed experience. I've been there and done that 10 times over. So I don't see the problem with putting in a good day's work. Even if it is only four to six hours, there's nothing wrong with that. You
1: know, yeah, I, I think it's a really great point. And you know, the other thing too about doing fractional CMO work is that it's not like you have a full-time job where your employer is looking at it and going, hey, what's this person doing with this side hustle? because you're part-time by nature. And so you can do these other things. So, you know, for you, and I'll bring this up on screen, you have these Upwork classes, you have these books that you're putting out. I don't even know what hot sauce is. If I, I just put
2: that up yesterday, it's, uh, <laughs> it's totally random. It's a charitable, 50% of the donations go to charity, but I'm a hot sauce aficionado. So I just, I spent six months developing the perfect hot sauce. That's my contribution to the world.
1: Oh, I'm gonna have to try that out. Yeah. For me, we both have young kids. Like I started this thing that was called Parents Club and parents club is just a community it's a newsletter for parents and i had a bunch of dad friends who had a stack of parenting books that they were given as gifts and none of my friends were reading those books and i had a hard time finding the time to read those books and so this was 10 minute summary of parenting club books and this plan goes up the website goes up and this is the great thing about if you're a marketer you could obviously market your own thing but on here this is one of my recurring revenue streams that comes in there's traditional revenue streams like real estate as well, but I like to make some of the real estate plays as well as kind of have one or two of these types of things going up there as well.
2: Yeah, it's always good to have at least one source of passive income to provide that, you know, base. In my heyday, when the book was doing great, I was paying my mortgage. Like it's that's passive income, but I mean, there's nothing wrong with starting your job as a consultant, working for your, every hour that you make, and then those productizations that you make with passive referral, that passive income, that will gel on its own. It'll come to you. If you start developing an expertise in one or more areas like hot sauces and an expertise, and I certainly don't think that's going to be big of a passive income, but you create books from your knowledge and that's passive income. That's kind of stuff will come to you.
1: Yeah. And I think for somebody who doesn't know what that is yet, you know, the advice that I wish somebody would have given me is just start putting content out there and yeah. building an audience. And today, yeah. more than ever, it's so easy to just go sign up for whether it's a Substack account or a Twitter account or go on to Anchor FM, which is free to start a podcast. Whether, and whatever the medium is that you enjoy the most, just start putting something out there. You know, there's a gentleman, Russell Brunson, one of his kind of mantras for new entrepreneurs is just put something out there every single day for a year. And if you have the perseverance to be able to do something and talk about something that you love and that you're passionate about, you can make it a year, but a year is about the right amount of time to be able to build an audience and you know, worry about product and worry about monetization at that year point, because you're probably starting this while you have other revenue streams, whether that's doing consulting or you could potentially start this newsletter while you still have full-time employment.
2: Yeah, you don't have um, to have all the answers when you start freelancing or going out on your own. People think that I can't do it because I don't I don't know this or I don't know that. You don't need all the answers. You learn as you go. So yeah. don't be afraid to make that jump. And it doesn't need to be all at once. It doesn't need to be a black or white jump, you know, quit your job and jump into freelancing or entrepreneurship the next day. You yeah. can do part time. And that's the way I did it. I mean, I was a 2 I'd come home and I'd work a few hours as ramp up my own consulting business until I was comfortable that it could take on wings of its own.
1: Yeah. And in today's world of remote work, I think that this area is getting even more gray. I think everybody has kind of personal decisions that you got to make. I did the same thing as you. And but there was also before the pandemic where I would do my nine to five. And then at night, I'd put in a few hours on my own thing. And so this is definitely a way that can start and things, decisions like, do you put it on your LinkedIn? Do you not put it on your LinkedIn? Do you start a website? Do you not start a website? The beauty of just getting started is you don't actually need a website to be able to actually get started. All you need is just a relationship with somebody who needs some type of work done and the skill set to be able to do that work. And your start into this could simply be a PayPal account as a method of getting started. But as you get more comfortable in that and as you start getting testimonials is probably the wrong exact word for it because you don't necessarily need written reviews but more so what you need is the ability to be able to talk about work that you've done in the past and how you've delivered results in the past and that more than anything will help get your first few bites and kind of getting on this hamster wheel that is consulting
2: yeah i mean look if you're a corporate guy and you've always wanted to try freelancing just Take a look at what you like to do. What's your passion? You know, don't take a look at what you're doing now because a lot of people are in jobs they they don't even intend to to be in. I was just talking to an accountant the other day. He spent his life in numbers, but what he really likes to do is Photoshop and design like totally different. Like find out what you really like to do and see if somebody would be willing to pay you for it. With sites like Upwork, it's nearly free to join and you can just dip your toe in the water and see if you like it. But don't start a business based on what you do just because you do it. That doesn't necessarily mean you like it.
1: You know, that's really interesting as you say that, because the thing that I think about is like throughout my career, there's work that I really enjoy doing. And when the companies and the projects that I was working on grew to a certain phase larger than that, I stopped doing some of that work. And so the work that I really enjoy is like getting a new product off the ground and taking it from nothing to a few million in revenue. The work of taking something from 50 to 100 million or 100 to 200 million It's actually less of work that I'm interested in doing, which is actually what drove me to go, hey, is there a way that I could just do this over and over and over again, where every six months, it might be a different company, or every 12 months, it might be a different company. Mike, this has been a pleasure to have a conversation with you. I'm especially just because the approach that you and I have both taken Although the outcome's about the same, our approach has been much, much different, which kind of shows everybody there's different paths to being able to accomplish this world of fractional CMO work.
2: Yeah, I thanks so much for taking the time. I'd love to continue this conversation and be a guest again. And uh, let's definitely keep in touch.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for folks who want to connect with you, follow you, where's the best place for them to check out? Yeah, LinkedIn's
2: a great place. My site, mikevulcan.com. You can pick up a bottle of hot sauce. And my new book, The Business Success Formula. It teaches uh, companies with over 10 employees how to measure and scale their and grow their business.
1: Wherever you're listening to this, we'll make sure that's in the comments as a pinned comment or in the show notes. Mike, thanks so much. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Vincent. You too. Take care. Take care.
0: This has been Destination CMO, hosted by Vincent FanFan. Because marketing careers are often highly specialized and rarely linear, Destination CMO invites senior marketers to share stories and insights from their professional journey. If you liked this episode, join the community by following us on social media. We have links to all our platforms in the show notes. And join us next time for the most important stories in business and tech, explained through the lens of a senior marketer. Thanks for listening to Destination CMO. This podcast is produced by Caroline Pickens and the team at Fresh Picked Studio. For more information, go to freshpickedstudio.com.